Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Business Theory. I'm Andrew Flowers, your host. And today, uh, we got kind of a unique guest, a former professor of mine and serial entrepreneur, David Soto. How you doing, David? Good. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing fantastic. So for some of the listeners, uh, you know, they're not, they might not be familiar with who you are. So if, would you go ahead and give a little, a, kind of a little background a little bit about who you are and, and you know, where you came from? So um, originally I was born and raised in Northern Arizona, Flagstaff, native third generation to Arizona from a Northern Spanish origin, a family with around livestock, sheep and cattle ranching. My family originally cut me off at the age of 12, told me to start finding a job if I wanted to have my own money. So I started it out with landscaping company at the age of 15 and built it up and then went off to school, as was mandated by my family, that I should be attending school to further my career, which drove me into the finance area. And from finance, graduating in finance, I went into the area of wealth management, developed into Originally with Sun America Securities and broke off into my own independent brokerage house, wrote a wealth management firm. While I was in that process of building my wealth management practice, I needed technology to help me manage my clients. And so what I did was develop an algorithm that could help manage the back end and manage platform, early form of robo trading, uh, built that up. And in 2006, I successfully exited that business and moved on to assisting other entrepreneurs and avoiding the pitfalls that I had faced during my, my venture and have been doing that since then. Definitely. Okay. So I know you, you said you were from Flagstaff, you know, native Arizona. Mm -hmm. I guess something that I've seen, and you might've seen this as well, you know, with a lot of entrepreneurs, there's, there's something that you know, when they're young is instilled into them kind of a mindset. Would you say that you were kind of instilled with, with, you know, that motivation either from your parents or, or a particular mentor, you know, that, that really pushed you to search for entrepreneurship? Yeah, I would, I would, I feel I was really pushed into this area because my grandfather was an entrepreneur as an immigrant from Spain and made his own way. And my father believed in that you had to make your own way as well. And that was kind of instilled into me as well as other family members, in which I passed along to my son, and my daughter, um, that they need to make their own way and leave their mark. So the best way to do that is through, is through starting your own companies or being entrepreneurial minded and do something. It's not always starting your own company, but it could be standing up somebody else or running somebody else's company as if it was your own. Absolutely, you know, like a an entrepreneur, I think is what they call it. Um, so, when you when you were young, would you say that your your grandfather would would be your your biggest mentor? My grandfather was a big mentor to me, and an aspiration to be to what he was. My grandfather retired at the age of thirty five from sheep ranching, and that was always one of my goals. And I beat that by one year at thirty four when I first retired. And then I kept moving on into others because one thing that was instilled with me is that you never stop working, never stop moving, doing something productive. And I, when I retired at 34, I kept doing things, but it was always with the focus of what I had a passion in doing. Okay. So you said you retired at 34, 34. Okay. So what made you get back into, into the, the field of, of business, I guess, what, what brought you out of retirement? Well, at the age of 34, I retired. I took kind of a break 
focused on personal, my personal life and spending time with my son, but I continued to assist others. So I never really took a break, I would say. Gotcha. I just focused more on things that I had a passion for, and that was building companies. I've always had a passion for building companies and helping other people be successful. Definitely. I know you and I have spoken about about that business, uh, kind of an accelerator business. Why don't you t- uh, talk a little bit about, about what the, that looks like to, to come into kind of, you know, an executive and a mentor standpoint into, say, mm-hmm. a new business that you have brought on to help bring from A to C and skip B? Okay. So um, the accelerator model is typically, most people think of it as an incubator, some of it an accelerator. There's There tends to be a blend of the of those two models currently. But when I look at them, it's always coming in with some guidance of somebody that's already has the scars from being out there and doing it and giving them guidance to help those business owners not hit every pitfall as they build their company and get them quickly scaled to commercialization or revenue, whatever it may be their goal to get to within an 18 month period so that they can further realize what they were what the original aspiration was with that company definitely okay so you're really you're really stepping in to to kind of a you know a guide i guess um preventing them from hitting those those roadblocks that i guess a lot of young entrepreneurs fall into true and as well as keep them realistic and motivated in what needs to be done um that's one of the biggest things that i've been seeing now especially with younger entrepreneurs is is maintaining a realistic point of what they can actually accomplish. I mean, everybody can wish their company is going to be worth a hundred million dollars, but until it's actually there, you need to be real mindful of what you say and what you do. Definitely. That makes, makes sense. I've seen it, you know, a lot with, with especially the younger generation that's, you know, kind of centered around social media is with social media, you know, you get a lot of shiny object syndrome. Um, you know, that's probably a little bit more, I guess, uh, accessible to get today than it was before, you know, especially with social media. Um, kind of what's, what's your take on, on the whole social media entrepreneur, that kind of laptop lifestyle? What do you think about that? Um, I mean, I, I partake in a laptop lifestyle because I travel quite a bit. Um, but, I mean, social media is good for what it's intended to use. And I think it's a good for getting – getting the word out about what you're doing and using it as a marketing tool. Um, but it's not the only way to market. I mean, you still need that, that toe to toe or in-person interaction with an individual to have a co- real conversation and network with them. I mean, you and I've had discussed this in the past and um, about what true networking should be and how that you need people need to, especially in the younger entrepreneurs, need to get out there and network to build their reputation and make connections because it's not all, it's not only about what you know, it's about who you know, that's going to help you open the door. Definitely. Yeah. They, you know, the, the saying goes, your network is your net worth. And I, I think we both agree on that. Um, so kind of, kind of diving, you know, deep into, I guess your early, your early business life. I know you had mentioned you developed kind of the first, one of the first algorithms for robo trading. What was, what was your experience with that? What was kind of, was it born out of, out of a personal need or did you just kind of recognize a problem? It was um, both. I had a personal need to 
spend more time with my clients so that my business could grow, um, as well as the need to remain in compliance with regulations. So, okay. I mean, so it, it was, I mean, essentially a need to, a need that needed, it was something that needed to be filled in order for me to grow my company to the point that where I needed, I wanted, I saw it going. Gotcha. Okay. So kind of, you know, kind of a dual, a dual sided coin, I guess there. Right. Uh, Correct. What was, what was the exit like? And this is something I wanted to, to talk with you about is, you know, today, a lot of young entrepreneurs, they're not, they're not beginning by looking at the end. You know what I'm saying? They're not, they're not coming in with an right. exit strategy. And that's something I know you and a lot of uh, my other mentors have really talked about is establishing an exit strategy from the very beginning. What was kind of your, I guess, mindset looking into exiting the company? What would you kind of suggest that young entrepreneurs today make when they're beginning to create a business? Well, it's, it's when you're looking to create a business, it's not only about what you're going to be creating, but and it's about what you what you see the company becoming as well as knowing where you wanted to end at. I mean, you need to go into anything you do with end in mind, whether it's in your personal life or business, you always have an end in mind, you know, and it's not, I mean, people mostly assimilate end being negative, but it's not, it's a, it's a positive thing, knowing where you want to take it to. That's and where right. you have the capa- to have the capability of taking it to. Definitely. I mean, it's great as a 19-year-old saying that you're going to be a CEO of the next Fortune 500 company. But if you don't have that capability at 19 to do that, I mean, that's kind of unrealistic. Definitely. Okay. So, so kind of, I guess, you know, with, with, your first, with your first company there, I know you had said you, you successfully exited. What did that look like in, in terms of, I guess, was that an acquisition or did you just kind of leave the company and sell your shares? How did that work? Because I know um, kind of touching back on, on the exit strategy, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they don't have the mentor that's, you know, successfully exited from a company and they don't know what that looks like. Would you kind of give like a, a little bit of a recap, I guess, on, on what it looks like to exit a company? So, okay. So looking like to exit a company, in 2006, I was approached by a brokerage house that was interested in the technology platform that I was running and how I was very successful as, an in, as a small wealth management firm and grew to be a mid-sized firm very rapidly. So they were interested in how I, the technology I was using. It was all IP protected. Um, that's one thing that you want to make sure is that you have the proper protections in place, whether it's trademark, copyright, or patents, if possible, to do so. But I was able to get to growing that company to that point to where they had a, enough interest from the outside sources to, to want to acquire my company, put me in a good position to where I could negotiate what was best for me and my family. It gave me, it put me in a position to where I was going to also be able to leverage an exit from that to maximize long term, not only for me but for my for my children. Okay. So it's an end in mind with that, and that the exit was acquisition of the company, the software, as well as a agreement 
which typically comes along that ties up handcuffs um, the founder for a period of time. Okay. Which isn't a negative thing, quite honestly. So, so kind of handcuffing in a sense of reducing the competition. Uh, yeah, and it keeps then the entrepreneur from and founder from going out and doing the same thing immediately afterwards. Gotcha. Okay. So I guess where where we want to head next was was kind of thinking into your next business. What you know, I know you had said you you retired and you you took a break. Was that directly after selling this company? Yeah, it was directly after selling this company. I took a break. Um, just to focus on myself and my family. And then um, within three months, I would say, I was doing consulting for other companies and startup companies and helping them stay on the right path. It's okay. very similar to what I, and I've always, and I've replicated that model multiple times, whether I'm investing into a, a startup or I'm assisting a startup in going forward. And, and that can, the model can even be utilized in a an up and co- a company that's mid-sized and needs some structure added to it definitely okay so what would you say this kind of goes into the next point i wanted to talk about is is building your your dream team what would you say is a, the most important part of, of building a team i know a lot of entrepreneurs they'll go into business with their friends or they'll you know, they'll, they'll work with a few close, close business partners. What, I guess, you know, would you say about the importance of building the team and having those right people in place? Building your dream team is the most difficult thing to do because no matter what you have on a dream team, there's always going to be somebody else that you could add to it. There's somebody else that you, it would be somebody that you want to remove from your dream team. So it's never truly a dream team, but it's more of a functional team. Okay. Everybody knows what they're doing. They know how to do it. They know how to do it at a, at a high level. But the most important thing of dream, building a team is that you can all operate together and everybody understands and is comfortable with working in their lane and focuses on the greater good of the company. Okay. So creating, I guess, that ecosystem. Exactly. It's an e- everything is around an ecosystem. Everybody, people focus on building the company, building departments, but each one cannot survive on its own. It needs an ecosystem. And the best way way to build an ecosystem, and here's a test that I do, is that if you can survive in a closed space, whether it's a road trip with your team for eight hours and do not want to kick somebody out of the car in that period, then you have a good team. Okay. I like that. That's, that's, that's good to, <laughs> to use, to test your team. Definitely going to, going to use that. Right. Um, so what did you jump into next? I know right now you're involved in a lot of businesses and I know you, what would mm-hmm. you kind of name as, I guess your top three, you know, projects right now that you're working on? Um, right now I'm, I have um, my own family office that I run with my fa- with some family members. That's what I've done that for some time um, and operate that with me being a contributor to it more, more or less. Okay. And then in me- the immediate future, I'm working with HempWave. I was brought in as their COO to, and CEO to potentially partner it up with another larger firm. And it's in the, the farming bit. It's with the 2018 farm bill 
and the way the reason I was brought in was to scale this company to be a standard in the hemp industry moving forward. And the most most people think of hemp and the end result of hemp being whether it's clothing or some fiber, but also um, CBD oil, which is a big trend right now. And so looking to contribute to that market and meet the demand of that. Definitely. But the most, but the most important thing with hemp is it involves farmers. Exactly. Farmers, there's continued to be oppressed in rudimentary way of saying that there's no profit in it for them because they keep being beat down by tariffs or processes in the manufacturing industry of getting things cheaper at a higher quality. So farmers aren't typically making money. They're, they're sometimes lucky if they even break even. And they're the ones that have the hardest time getting, working the ground and growing the crop. But with hemp, what this is giving them the opportunity is to, is to actually turn a profit on their crops. And by properly partnering with farmers through hemp wave, we're able to give them a revenue stream that's actually going to pay off directly to them and into their pocketbook. Okay. So kind of, I guess, you know, breaking into the, the farming and the hemp space and, and, you know, disrupting, I guess that's something that's, you know, when you're entering any space is to go in, you know, to disrupt, what would you say on that? I, I completely agree. My, the focus of doing anything is going and disrupt the market and come in with a better model. And everything that I do also has technology that I bring with it, whether it's farming, there's new technologies that can be brought into farming that are used in other areas. And that's one of the things that we'll be doing with these with farmers, as well as setting up best practices and standards on the best on farming with our farmers that we partner with. And everything that we do is a partnership. It's not that we're utilizing them and they're working for us. It's a partnership. Exactly. I think that's... Includes, with, yeah, and that includes communication and being open and upfront with them and openly communicating with them and working with them as well as them working with us the same way. Definitely. Yeah, I know that's something a lot of entrepreneurs I see today, you know, exchanging value in a sense. It's not, you know, too much about the money. It's more about, hey, what can you do for me and what can I do for you in a sense, you know? Yeah, I agree with, I mean, I agree with you. It's not necessarily, most people are about what can you do for me and how can I utilize what's your talent, your to my benefit. This is this is the model. That's not the model I operate on. The model I operate on is how can I help you become more successful? In the same time, I will become successful too. Significance it's of all about, success. Exactly. It's all about providing value. I focus on value when I start when I build companies. Because if you focus on value and providing a value to whether it's your customer, your client, your partners you will receive a financial success. Looking into, I guess, I guess, you know, young entrepreneurs today kind of focusing on that demographic, mm-hmm. what would be, I guess, your advice to entrepreneur that's, that's starting, you know, say they're, you know, 16 or 17, just getting out of high school or, or in their senior, junior year, looking to kind of get into entrepreneurship. You know, they, I know with social media, we see a lot of the, laptop lifestyle and, you know, the quote unquote gurus, you know, teaching X, Y, and Z, whatever it's going to be. They, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's your advice where they're not clouded by, you know, all these different YouTube advertisements and, you know, just all this clutter in the entrepreneur space. What's your advice? 
keep it simple. Look at something that's around you that you have direct access to and see if you can improve that process. If you can improve that process or you can add something to that process, go for it. Whether it's your family business or your neighbor's business or just a process on how something is that you utilize every day, look to see how you can improve it. That's a starting point on being a young entrepreneur in this in today is that technology is at your fingertips. And as entrepreneurs start to age and the older entrepreneurs are aging, you can always go into those fields and institute technology into it to make that a more profitable business. Definitely. Okay. What would be, I guess, your take on what entrepreneurship has done for you? Um, Because I, I know a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, will get crap for saying that they're an entrepreneur, especially at a young age, you know, people for some reason think that the age is, is some kind of constraint on how successful you can be. And, you know, personally, I see it a lot in the, in the marketing space, you know, talking about social media and, and, you know, doesn't matter how much credibility you have, a business owner is not going to take you seriously if they think that age is any determining factor in your knowledge. What would be uh, your take on what entrepreneurship has done for you um, and how it's, I guess, shaped you into who you are? Uh, entrepreneurship has given me a thicker skin. Um, I was one of those individuals at a young age to where I was successful um, building my wealth management firm to where I wouldn't be taken seriously because I could model things and provide returns at a certain age. Um, however, I just, with young entrepreneurs, it's all about providing new value. It's all about proving what your worth is and showing them where it can be done. Business owners and are willing to take a chance on individuals if you can provide some scale of proof that, on, that you can do what you say you can do. It's all about it's all about providing them with some kind of expectation that you're going to deliver on something and delivering on it. Yeah, follow, you know, following through with the promises that you make. I think what's going to make or break your success. Yeah, I mean, you just need to do you need to do what say what you're going to do and do it. Definitely, definitely. You know, one one thing before we kind of wrap this up, you know, looking at at the the space the tech industry the entrepreneurship space you know as a whole what what do you predict what do you what do you see in the next you know five to ten years as being the new business i guess the niche there's it's not going to be any one niche in new business it's going to be about individuals going back and improving processes I mean, as you have baby boomers are starting to age out and retire, a lot of those jobs are being unfulfilled because people just simply just don't want to do them. Um, but it's all about if their technology can be added to it, individuals will find a job and an income source that will last their lifetime. Generation. Creating residual wealth. Yes, creating residual wealth and just improving processes and adding technology to it. Definitely. So tech is tech is is here to stay. Absolutely, it is. It is here to stay, and it will continue to to grow. David, I appreciate you coming on the podcast today, uh, and and you know talking about your story and and the companies that you're currently involved in. Uh, what's one last piece of advice that you would tell to, I guess, a younger you? You know, if you were looking back uh, to when you were a teenager, what's one piece of advice that you would give yourself? Be resilient. And the moment that you start doing something right, people will come out of the 
come out of the woodwork and tell you that you're doing something wrong. They'll start criticizing you. That means that you're doing something right. Awesome. So that was our podcast with David. If you want to get a hold of him or learn more about the businesses that he is involved in, you can connect with him on LinkedIn at David Soto or click the links in the description of the podcast. Anyway, guys, take care and have a great rest of your day.